You are listening to Geek Fest Rants on the IC Robots Radio Network. You have located Geek Fest Rants, the entertainment podcast for genre geeks like you. Shall we play a game? Covering the world of vintage and current film and television since 2010. Game over, man. Game over. Featuring in-depth conversations on sci-fi, horror, fantasy, comics, toys, and conventions. So say we all. So say we all. And now sit back, relax, and enjoy today's show. The name's Rex, but you'll call me Captain or Sir. War does not come with a guarantee. No soldier gets the promise of safety. My designation is Trooper 27-5555, sir. We call him Fives. I'm Heavy. This is Echo. I'm Commander Cody, your new boss. Sir, yes, sir! Looks like we got ourselves a batch of shinies, Commander. Look around. We're one of the same. Same heart, same blood. Your training is in your blood. My blood's boiling for a fight. Saho, I deal with you sometimes. This can't be good. We need to pull back. Get out the portals. If we can draw them out, we can see them. If we can see them, we can hit them. so important that you brought us all the way back here? Hello, Master. It's been a while. everybody and welcome once again to GeekFest Rants. My name is Carlos Perone and today we're going to be delving into Star Wars Animation, the latest and greatest coming our way. On one end of the spectrum we're going to have the Clone Wars, the return of the Clone Wars. Uh, this is something that was very unexpected and everybody was surprised by it that we have coming up next year. And we also have Resistance, another Star Wars animated series, different than the Clone Wars one in terms of style. It takes place at a different period. This is right before The Force Awakens. And it is completely, completely different. Wait till you see it. Then we're going to talk about Repros and Customs. Repros and Customs in terms of action figure, specifically my particular case, Kenner action figure. You know, once my actual collecting and hunting of original figures starts to wind down 
you know, I might be missing a couple of pieces here or there still, but the majority of that stuff I'm already pretty much done with. I've been focusing for a while now, and specifically now, more in customs and reproductions. As far as uh, small pieces, certain pieces, certain articles, certain accessories, uh, even certain figures, but then again, customizing figures. I love to create new figures that haven't been made before. There's so much inspiration we get from the internet and some of the Facebook groups I belong to. So we're going to go and take a look at that a little bit. So let's get started with Star Wars animation. Television, Television is not the truth. Television is an amusement park. Television is a circus, a carnival, a traveling troupe of acrobats, storytellers, dancers, singers, jugglers, sideshow freaks, lion tamers, and football players. We're in the boredom killing business. All right, we have two projects that I want to talk about today having to do with Star Wars animation. One of them uh, is Star Wars Resistance, which is a show that we already knew was coming. It was announced a while back. It's a new style of Star Wars animation that it's entirely Disney. You know, just like Rebels, it was entirely Disney. However, Rebels continued, you know, with the style of Clone Wars, the, you know, that CGI-y, Thunderbird-ish, <laughs> originally called a type of animation. But this one for Resistance is more traditional, you know, hand-drawn looking. I'm sure nobody hand-draws anything these days in the old style of, you know, paint. It's all computer. But still, the, the look of it, if you know what I'm talking about, is more of a traditional animation style. However, the other project that was a bit of a surprise for everybody... That was announced during San Diego Comic-Con. They were having a 10th anniversary panel about the Clone Wars. Is that they are going to do another season of Clone Wars. Now, if you guys remember, because it's kind of sketchy how it all ended. Clone Wars lasted, I think it lasted something like five seasons. When all of a sudden we found out they were going to wind it down. They were going to kind of wind it all down. And what's unusual about it is that at that time, they had already been talking about a sixth, a seventh, possibly even an eighth season in terms of how much in advance they were already writing and preparing shows. Now, you got to keep in mind that for animation, there are so many things that have to be done in advance, just like in television production. You know, what you see on TV today could have been shot a year ago. Because that's how much, you know, in advance things have to get done. And for animation, it's even more because you have to prep all this artwork, you know, do all the voiceovers and all that other stuff has to be done so much in advance. You know, a lot of times I remember when I would hear some of the voice actors being interviewed about what happened this week on the show, it would be a little difficult for them to kind of think about what was happening or remember what was happening because of the fact that they had really done that you know, probably a year or more ago. They're working so much in advance. So what was happening is there was the possibility, because this all kind of culminated around the time of the Disney purchase. And everything kind of sort of abruptly ended. And not only was the fifth season the last season on Cartoon Network, but they then announced that they were going to show a final season, which was the last sixth season, but it was going to go straight to Netflix. And it was also called, I believe, The Lost Missions or something like that, which was slightly shorter, you know, than the typical season, I think, 
It wasn't as huge as the other one. And that was the end, the final, final end of it. However, because, once again, things were done so much in advance, there were certain episodes that they had pre-written already. There were certain early animatics that were done of a couple of arcs that were already in progress, you know, being made. So little by little, a lot of this material started to make its way, you know, on the internet as a kind of like as a gift, I guess, to the fans or giving them a little something extra to chew on, even though the show was over and it was a little disappointing on a lot of people. Uh, some of it made it into a comic book form or book form or whatever. Some of it never made it at all. It was just talked about in interviews. So lo and behold, now they're having this 10th anniversary and they announced that they're going to do one more season. So off the bat, we have to kind of understand they're not reviving the show. I do not foresee Disney saying, hey, let's just continue with it now. Let's do it every year. No. What they're promising, what they're projecting here that they're going to give us is one more season to kind of wrap up some of those arcs that we've heard about that are important. So what they did is they showed a trailer on Comic-Con. You show a trailer. So let me tell you a little about the trailer. So the trailer starts with a close-up of Captain Rex's helmet. And around him, you see other helmets on both sides. And the camera is kind of pulling back. And you just see all these helmets. They're not attached to any bodies. They're just helmets like lined up on the ground, let's say. And you start to hear voices of all the different characters that we've met through the years of clones introducing themselves as the camera pulls back and pulls back. And granted, these are important characters. Commander Cody, Echo, Fives, you know, your main characters that we met that are important in the storytelling of this particular show. And in the background, you also see laser bolts going back and forth between two sides. And you hear bombs going off and the sky is very dark and smoky. So it's kind of like a battlefield, you know, in the distance. And then you hear like a lot of war chatter, like communications taking place. And some bombs are coming through. And all of a sudden, one bomb hits near where you're looking at all these helmets. And they all start to explode towards you. Screen fades to black. And... In the font, you know, the old Lucasfilm font, which in the show they used to have what they used to call the fortune cookie, the, the message of the episode. This one, it says, a war left unfinished, dot, 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 until now. Now, this is important because the war is basically the Clone Wars. So this, to me, tells me they're going to take us to the end of the Clone Wars. And if we know what the end of the Clone Wars really represents, that is Order 66, when the clones turn on their masters and the war stops. So that's very important, which would be somewhere within Revenge of the Sith. So we also see now a clone transport coming in into a base on the side of a mountain. And Anakin is walking towards the entrance with what could be Rex on one side and another guy that I believe from what I remember and from what I've read, he doesn't look like a clone, but he is a clone. He's part of this thing called the Bad Batch. And from what I understand, the Bad Batch was another arc of episodes that were never made. So it's a good possibility that what this indicates is that this is one of those never made arcs that they are making. And the Bad Batch, again, what I from what I understand, is a series of 
genetically modified, or at least more modified than usual clones that have special abilities. They don't look like clones. They don't sound like clones. They have super special, you know, physical attributes, mental attributes. And they're like a special commando force that are going out there to do some special, you know, secret missions, which I guess they're in a way, they're kind of uh, portrayed almost kind of like a, a wild bunch type of group, like a dirty dozen type of group. You know, that's kind of like the uh, how they kind of stand aside from everything else, from the regular ones, and how these guys are going to interact with regular clones, and how important are they, you know, to the overall story. So we don't know <laughs> if these guys are going to last or not, but they are introducing them into the story. And then you have this ending shot of Anakin walking into a communication area within, I assume it's a... Republic ship, the officers look like Imperial officers. I mean, I don't remember exactly if how close to the uniforms we were, but these guys look so Imperial at this point. And there is a holographic communication taking place. And all of a sudden, the hologram turns around and it's Ahsoka standing next to Bo-Katan. Again, this is the character from Mandalore. She's the one that's, I guess, more, more or less the, the, the rebellious side of, of Mandalore now. And, you know, Ahsoka turns around and says, hello, master. It's been a while. So that's your trailer. From what I understand, people just kind of lost their minds at that point and everybody started cheering and everything. So let's talk a little bit about what are the possible storylines for this. So apparently what we're going to get is 12 episodes, I believe possibly broken down into three arcs instead of independent episodes. So one of these arcs is definitely going to be the Bad Batch arc, primarily because of the fact that we just saw the character from Bad Batch and we know that there was an entire series of uh, episodes almost done about it. So that's kind of already there, pretty much self-explanatory. Then you have Ahsoka and Bo-Katan at the end of that video, which kind of could be referencing yet another possible storyline for an arc. That particular storyline has to do with Ahsoka going on a mission. This is after she's left the Jedi Order, going on a mission uh, to try to retake Mandalore with Bo-Katan. There was another storyline in the works, which I don't know if this is what the third storyline is going to be, but... Who knows? It is something that was talked about. Having to do with Boba Fett and Cad Bane. Uh, something having to do, you know, a very Western-y kind of theme, especially with somebody like Cad Bane. But uh, something having to do with some sort of a duel between those two bounty hunters. And the result of this confrontation ending with Boba Fett having the dented helmet that we kind of know appears in the future films. Now, if we're dealing with Mandalore, there's a good chance we might have to deal a little bit with Darth Maul. If you remember where we left off with Darth Maul, he was part of now the Shadow Collective. He was like their new leader because he kind of took over that. And somewhere down the road, he becomes the leader of Crimson Dawn, which because we know that from the solo film. So at some point... Maul takes over Mandalore. So it is possible that part of this story could deal with Ahsoka and Bo-Katan and possibly even Anakin at some point and Obi-Wan, you know, engaged in a battle over Mandalore. But that we're going to talk about a little later because that's possibly changed. Now, as I mentioned earlier, based on that little tag of 
a war left unfinished until now. Order 66, they are going to have to resolve this whole issue of Order 66. It is possible that we might see some other troops turning on some characters that we know, maybe important character, maybe not important characters, who knows, but I have a feeling that they're going to have to bring this all the way to that point. Once this originally was announced that the series was finishing, as I mentioned earlier, they did give us some kind of leftover material, because I guess at that point, they really had no idea whether or not this was going to be resurrected or not. So what they did in the past was they gave us, for example, a comic book, like I think it was a three or four part comic book uh, called Darth Maul, Son of Dathomir, uh, which kind of tries to give you a little more information on what happens to Darth Maul, you know, after Mandalore. And that sort of thing. Obviously, it doesn't take it all the way up to Solo because probably back then they didn't know he was going to show up on Solo, I imagine. Anything having to do with Crimson Dawn or anything like that. Then there was also a book, which I own but I haven't read yet, called Dark Disciple, which features Ventress and Quinlan Vaz. Again, another possible story that they were going to do. I believe we might have seen some animatics on this one too, but they never did. You know, they never finished it, so they instead turned it into a book, you know, a novel. Anything having to do with Ahsoka, it's a little iffy right now. In other words, how far they're going to take it, how many holes they're going to fill, and whether or not they're going to stay within canon, depending on your version of canon. There was an Ahsoka book put out. I haven't read it. I own it. My my daughter read it, I think. I think my son also read it, but I haven't touched it yet. But I know some things about it. And from what I understand, the book is supposed to be canon. Okay, fine. Great. In the book, I believe they talk about Rex, Wolf, and Gregor, all of them being able to disconnect their chip. And that's why, you know, they don't turn on, on anybody during Order 66. That is something that they might incorporate into this. Who knows? As I mentioned earlier, there was also a Nutapau arc done that got as far as animatic form. Not sure if they're going to touch that one right now. And there was also some background stories that Filoni was telling during another convention. Again, at the time, not knowing, I think, that this was going to happen. And it had to do a lot with Ahsoka in terms of you know, what were some of the possible storylines that are yet to be explored? In some of those explanations, they talk about how the Battle of Mandalore is cut short because of the announcement that Palpatine has been kidnapped, which leads to basically Revenge of the Sith. So, not sure whether or not how much they're going to push the mission of Ahsoka going to Mandalore... Or maybe she goes to Mandalore, but then the Republic cannot continue or finish that attack with Anakin and Obi-Wan because all of a sudden they get dispatched to take care of this Palpatine situation. So that's another possible way of them getting out of that problem. It is also mentioned that as a result of this mission that Ahsoka is sent on, whether it is Mandalore or something else that she will be given a platoon, let's say, of clone troopers, including Captain Rex, to help her. And they have a special designation, meaning a special color to their armor, which is kind of orange with her markings, you know, her white markings from her forehead on the actual clone 
trooper uniforms. And that's funny because that's the poster that apparently was released also during that panel. I believe some people got a free poster. And it's basically a helmet, a clone trooper helmet with the orange marking and the white symbol. And it's exactly Ahsoka's markings. So that's what that's all about. In one of these, again, Dave Filoni speeches, Dave Filoni interviews, he mentioned that there was an idea also of when it does come time for Order 66, that Ahsoka is riding some kind of a wolf and she's in a forest. And all of a sudden, when the clone troopers turn on her, these wolves protect her and save her from Order 66. Again, not sure if they're going to do that here. I know, and if you guys remember, in Rebels, they did play around with the whole wolf motif quite a bit, especially during the end. I don't know if they're going to want to repeat themselves in that manner. Maybe they were saving it, you know, because he couldn't use it in Clone Wars, he decided to put it on Rebels, and now it's like, well, you don't want to put it on again. So there might be another way of, if they do approach how she handles Order 66, they will have to kind of figure out, you know, how to do that. There was also apparently another possible storyline with Ahsoka having to do with her, right after she leaves the Jedi Council, her living in the underground layers of Coruscant and having to do with something with Sector 1313, where now, Again, this is a video game that was going to be put out and they were going to tie it into the show, that the animated show. You know, they wanted synergy between all the different properties and all the different mediums. And there was going to be some kind of storyline where she's trying to solve a mystery, let's say, from, from, from that. And there was going to be some kind of romantic interest, which again, all that disappeared. All that went away the second the video game got axed. And yeah, this is all around the same time of the Disney purchase. And there was going to be yet another storyline where she is brought in to help the Jedi Council, specifically Yoda, to help Yoda try to solve a mystery having to do with a dark force that seems to be emanating from Coruscant that ends up being some kind of a Sith temple in the underground layers, you know, of, of, of the Coruscant street sections, let's say, that is what the Jedi are feeling. In other words, all this whole thing about a dark force rising and that kind of thing, it's apparently a a Sith temple that's hidden down there. And it was supposed to culminate in some kind of fight between her and unbeknownst to her, or even maybe even Palpatine, Darth Sidious, where it kind of ends open-ended. Her not knowing that she is battling Sidious slash Palpatine, obviously. And again, this kind of reminds me a little bit of Rebels, where she is in that Sith temple and she ends up fighting Anakin or Darth Vader, really. But it's possible that we will not see this because, again, they used it on Rebels. There's a, a lot of that happens, you know, when, when something doesn't get used, then they have to give it to the other side, you know, to be able to do something with. So we have... Two definite arcs that we kind of know what they are. The Bat Batch arc, the Ahsoka arc, 
And there's a third arc, which there's a lot of possibilities here of which way they can go with that third arc. If it is a full arc, if they split it into episodes, I doubt it. I think they're going to stick with the arc uh, model. They kind of like that. Uh, so that's the only thing in question right now is what it is. The only thing we know for sure is this is a one-shot deal. Uh, like I said, I don't think there is any plans on continuing it. Even if the ratings are good, there's just no real good – Storylines, if you think about it, because right off the bat, they're really promising you they're going to take it all the way to the edge. I mean, they could kind of go beyond if they wanted to, but no longer would be Clone Wars anymore. It would be post-Clone Wars. And at that point, they would have to just create a new series. Well, guess what? That wouldn't surprise me one bit. I wouldn't be surprised if Disney would want to have two different series going on at the same time. Keep in mind, we still have a live-action series in the works – John Favreau's working on that. There's a possibility that it has to do with Mandalorians. Who the heck knows? But we also have now a secondary series called Resistance. And they did give us a trailer. Finally, 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 after Comic-Con, they finally released a trailer. The trailer starts off with uh, something similar that they did on the solo trailer. This kind of ticking sound with a little bit of exciting music behind it as a ship is getting ready to depart. And a character talks about, ooh, how exciting it must be to be a pilot. The ship kind of looks like an X-Wing, but it's not. It seems to have more or less some of the body of the X-Wing, but the wings seem to be a different formation. You know, they're side wings, like, like typical wings, but not exactly X-Wing kind of wings. And what you're seeing is these ships, uh, not in space, in, in, in atmosphere, I think they're flying over water, and they're going through these loops, like um, like stunt flying kind of loops, almost like Harry Potter Quidditch kind of moves. <laughs> they're, they're going through these different uh, obstacles in ships. And we get to start to see who are some of these new characters. There's a very excited young guy who wants to be a pilot. You do get a shot of BB-8, because this is Resistance. This takes place before the Force Awakens. So we are going to meet and get to learn a little bit of the dynamics of the Resistance before they go head-to-head with the First Order. We also have another character who is another regular. I'm going to go over some of the regulars, let's say, who is kind of like a Nikto kind of character. He looks a lot like my favorite Klaatu character. And he's, again, another part of this crew of, of racers. And we have Poe Dameron who will make appearances, I believe, just like BB-8, because that's how we connected, you know, with the rest of Star Wars, obviously. And it is his voice. It is Oscar Isaac. And what's interesting is that on the wiki page, it says Adam Driver as Kylo Ren. I don't know if he actually is going to do a cameo in this. We do get to see Captain Phasma, I believe, in some of the earlier artwork, and it is Gwendolyn Christie doing the voice. So, it's really, really cool that they're able to at least tie in some actual real voices, you know, from Star Wars. We get a little bit of some slapsticky fight taking place, and we get to meet another one of these characters who is a uh, kind of like a team leader, an older guy. He's got this long hair, and, you know, he's kind of like, I guess, the guy who runs the ships. Then there's another character, and she's kind of like a mechanic, I guess, like an expert mechanic. So... It looks as if these guys are racers, but they're also secret agent kind of team also that at the same time, they go on missions, you know, but their cover is that they're racers. And I guess obviously they have to be good racers. Now, they also have this, because they always do this, they have this cute droid that kind of 
I guess it kind of it's supposed to be a combination of an astromech and maybe a BBA unit. The way that this thing looks, and you'll see pictures eventually, is like imagine an astromech, like an R2 unit, stripped of most of its shell, its outer round shell, with no dome. But instead of a dome, it's just a kind of like a stick coming out of the body with a photoreceptor eye in a little square box. But the catch is that it's kind of wearing a helmet. Now, I don't know how permanent this helmet is or if it's something that's just used on some of these shots, but it's got a helmet on. So it kind of gives it a roundish head, but it's not really part of the design, I imagine, of the droid. And it is kind of implied, I think, that he and BB-8 don't get along too well. I don't think he's kind of like a chopper kind of grumpy droid. I kind of see him... You know, BB-8 to this point, especially in uh, Force Awakens, he's kind of like a childish kind of droid, like a very cutesy. I mean, he can do some stuff, but he's very cute, let's say. This particular droid seems to be even in the cuter side, more childishly behaving than even BB-8. Like, BB-8 seems to have troubles understanding it or the way that it behaves, not being serious enough, I guess. Again, I'm taking a lot from this trailer from a couple of quick shots. There's also another girl that appears here who seems to be, I don't want to call her the love interest, but the romantic interest, I guess, more or less a competitor, another competitor racer to the main character. And, you know, she's got a different kind of ship and and those two seem to be going head to head a lot of times. We do get to see a First Order trooper that could be Phasma. I'm not entirely sure because it's so quick. The armor looks kind of reflective, but it looks kind of goldish because there's like a fire nearby. So again, I'm not entirely sure. It would kind of make sense because, you know, I know she's in the show and I know that we're promoting her as a character, but I don't know if they're going to, you know, give you that right off the bat. There's one quick shot of, again, I'm not sure. Maybe it's part of the pit crew. Maybe it's part of a a bar or it might be a, a chef or a bartender that kind of looks a little bit like Anku Plot, but it's like a female version of that. So that's interesting. Now, Resistance is going to debut on the Disney Channel and then move on to Disney XD. Keep in mind, this is all in preparation for the final or the eventual Disney streaming service that's coming soon. Uh, so I would not be surprised that at a certain point, if these shows are still on, that they would switch over. Granted, forget Clone Wars, because like I said, it's a one-shot deal, I'm pretty sure. But this show, I'm pretty sure that once the streaming service comes online, they will probably switch it to that. I wouldn't be surprised. Another thing that's interesting about this show is that even though Filoni is involved in the making of the show, he is taking more of a advisory kind of role, I guess, in the manner that Lucas used to be the guy that was guiding Filoni in how to do Clone Wars, he is now doing the same thing for the people that are running Resistance, which leads me to believe, or to try to figure out again, you know, what is going to be the future role of Dave Filoni? The show, like I mentioned earlier, looks different. Uh, It is animation. It is slightly, I would say, a little bit on the anime side in terms of how things look, which is fine. But it does have... uh, Gee, I hate to say it. I don't want to call it a more childish or a more younger look. It does feel a little younger (laughs) to me, uh, or at least aimed at an audience that's a little younger even than Clone Wars or Rebels. Rebels, especially Clone Wars, especially what we're about to see now with this final season, 
had very dark, dark themes at times and very serious things and and it was reflected in the way it looks. This, because I guess it's animation and it is not that dark of a subject, maybe, uh, it looks very bright. The colors are very bright, very colorful, very animated. <laughs> I know that's a silly way of describing it. But again, this is only based on one episode and this is based on probably the premiere and that's it. We don't have any other comparisons. We don't know how this show is going to grow. We don't know if this is going to be continued to be aimed at a very young audience. It is possible that that's what they want to do. And if you're looking for something a little more adult, that's what the television live show will be all about. But, you know, don't get me wrong, I'm definitely going to see it no matter what. We know that there's other stuff out there that might or might not ever make it to air. If you guys remember, again, before the whole Disney purchase, there was a show called Detours that was done by the crew from Robot Chicken. And this was a very kitty looking, but kind of a medium, uh, slightly advanced comedic touch to it you know similar to, i would imagine to what like shrek used to be like shrek i remember was a very kitty animated movie but they had very smart uh, i don't want to call it adultish jokes but mature more mature humor in it uh, and i think detours was supposed to be that that is a show that technically i believe disney now owns because it's part of the what's there will they ever want to go and release that in some shape or form i don't know i know they put the brakes on that the second that the company switch hands i would also still find it unusual that Dave Filoni is not playing a more hands-on role on anything else. The fact that he is going to be kind of supervising or overseeing or shepherding, if you want to call it, this uh, Resistance show, and obviously he had a lot to do with Clone Wars since that was his baby to begin with. What are they saving him for next? That's one of my most wanting to know things. Is he going to somehow transition at some point into a live action scenario? Is he going to maybe do a couple of guest directing jobs in the live action show? Will he ever be considered a candidate for a film? I don't know. You figure he would because he seems to know Star Wars better than anybody else at this point. But that's a whole other issue. We do have another movie coming up, episode nine. It's a little over a year away. Interesting things happening with the film in terms of, obviously, it's in J.J. Abrams' hands now. The cast has been announced. A couple of extra people have been added. Interesting people. You know, some well-known actors, more or less, here or there. It's always a little tricky when you add somebody who's kind of well-known because... Star Wars, I think, works best when you start using unknown actors. You don't project anything on them. Even on the prequels, I remember, I mean, Christopher Lee is Christopher Lee. You can get away with one heavy hitter, just like you got away with Cushing, you know, for the original film. And Christopher Lee is Christopher Lee. Okay, fine. But, you know, Samuel Jackson, that's Samuel Jackson. Samuel Jackson will always be Samuel Jackson, no matter what, you know, where you put him in. It worked. You know, it, it fulfilled the, the role that was needed. But this is something that happens to me anytime I watch a movie and Samuel Jackson is there. It's, it's Samuel Jackson. I cannot separate the star from the character. Um, and that's why, again, you put actors that are a little less known. It worked pretty well, I think, with the majority of the cast of Force Awakens. 
you know, the main, main characters, to me, they were pretty much unknown actors or not very well-known actors. So that kind of worked. Granted, you still had Harrison Ford and Carrie Fisher and, you know, obviously, yeah, but I'm talking about the new main actors, you know, Boyega and Ridley, you know, all these guys are, are fresh, at least in my mind. So when they make these announcements that they added this actor and they added that actor, even in The Last Jedi, you know, they had uh, a couple of people coming in, Del Toro and the lady that plays Holdo, you know, they're like, oh yeah, I know them. They're they're very well-known actors. So it's like, ooh, I wish they would have gone a different way. And it looks like they're going to continue that, at least in terms of, of casting. They are hitting a couple of actors that are more or less well-known, at least to me. Where are we going with the script? Who the hell knows? Which way is, is JJ going to go? Is he going to course correct the entire trilogy? Is he going to uh, double down on the trilogy? Or is he going to do a little bit of both? I don't know. We will see. Ryan Johnson, just like we've been hearing on the internet since the movie came out, how happy they are with it. But at the same time, you know that they're tap dancing and they were announcing a trilogy. They're going to give him his own trilogy because he's such a great guy. And there were rumors that, wait a minute, after the after the debacle with The Last Jedi and then the numbers for Solo that maybe they were going to take away the trilogy. Well, there have been, there've been articles left and right about how he's not being taken away from the next trilogy that apparently he's working on. That's still going full, you know, full speed ahead. So that's interesting. But they did put a hold, apparently, an official hold, uh, more or less, on any standalone films. So right now, all those other films that there were in the works, uh, Obi-Wan film, uh, Boba Fett film, uh, who the heck else knows kind of film, that's kind of on hold right now. Granted that those films were never officially announced by Lucasfilm as, this is what we got, but you know, there was no major hoopla announcement that these things were being made, but the the chatter from Hollywood Reporter and, you know, Variety and all these other uh, very credible uh, entertainment news sources was that they were they were going in pre-production mode. People were getting hired. People were getting, you know, pre-production work was being done, scouting. People were scouting locations. So it was like they were right there at the edge of making some kind of announcements. But apparently, again, because of what happened with Solo – that kind of put the kibosh on everything, at least for now. So nothing has been officially been canceled, but nothing has officially been announced either. So it's kind of in a state of flux. Now, I'm still going to stick to my guns and say that this is not a reaction of whether Solo was a good or a bad film. Solo was a good film. I think it was more of a reaction to Last Jedi. I think the backlash from Last Jedi, and again, the legitimate backlash to The Last Jedi, not the crazy, you know, wingnut reaction to Last Jedi, the legitimate reaction to Last Jedi, uh, was enough for everybody to kind of say, whoa, 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 what's going on here? Somebody seems to be upset, and them being upset at this film seems to be affecting that film. That combined also with the gigantic mistake of releasing this film so early in the middle of the summer when it went against their own other properties, that being... Infinity War, Marvel's Infinity War, even Deadpool 2. These were big, especially Infinity War. They shot themselves in the foot, I believe. They should have held off. They should have put it in the, in the winter. It gives people a little more breathing time. Maybe even more time for people to forget about The Last Jedi and kind of going to it a little more clear-headed. I think it would have had a better uh, reaction uh, than it did in the summer. But that's all said and done. There's nothing you can do about it. We got to see what happens next. 
But again, going back to the animation side of this whole thing, I am still wondering what is next for animation? Is Filoni being saved for another medium like live action or actual real films? Or is he already working on some other animated type of uh, show that maybe Disney wants to kind of piggyback two shows at the same time? The only thing that's a little scary is that from what I understand, Disney does have a track record of not letting their shows last too long. Two, three seasons, and then they move on to something else. So maybe that's part of what's happening. Maybe he's working on two or three different shows because these shows are only supposed to last two, three years. You know, he's already prepping the next one while he's working on this one. So that's a possibility too, that he's just kind of, you know, pumping out different shows because they will not be overlapping each other too much. But that's like anything else, just more speculation on my behalf. So bottom line, you want to watch Resistance? That's only a little over a month away on Disney Channel and then Disney XD. And if you want to watch Clone Wars, you're going to have to wait a little longer because that's going to be in 2019 on the new Disney streaming service. You can collect them all. You are a toy! Batteries not included. Get those wonderful toys. Details on specially marked packages at participating stores. Is that the $6 million man's boss? It's Oscar Goldman. Why do you have that? That's worth a lot of money. That's much more valuable than Steve Austin. Action figures each sold separately. Hi, I'm Chucky, and I'm your friend to the end. Some assembly required. All your favorite Star Wars heroes and villains. I have three of each. One to display, one to open, and one just in case. Today I want to talk about reproductions or repros and custom figures. Reason being is that I pretty much recently just finished my ongoing Star Wars vintage Kenner action figure collection. And by finished, I mean I gotten the last, last 17 figure that I was looking for, which is the Imperial Gunner. This is an awesome, awesome, gorgeous little figure. Very simple looking, really, but it is just, to me, one of the best ones they put out ever. You know, as as I mentioned before, once we were reaching that final stage, there were a number of those figures that were just complete, complete home runs in terms of how very well they were done. And to me, this has always been a favorite of mine. Ironically, it's the last one uh, that I finally acquired. But the reason that I want to talk about repros and customs today is that there is a certain point of view, if you will, in the community, in the collecting community, and when it comes to reproductions. And I'm going to try to present both sides of the story as much as possible, but as you might or might not already know, I don't have any problems at all with reproductions. But I do understand that it depends on what kind of a collector you are. If you pride yourself in having a collection that is 100% authentic when it comes to not only the figures, but the weapons that they're holding, the accessories, the capes, you know, everything that is associated with that particular figure. If it's your pride and joy that the fact that these are authentic and you haven't touched up the figure in any shape or form, let's say the, 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 the figure had a little scratch here or there and you, you know, you didn't take a brush and kind of fill in that scratch or something like that. I understand how that could bother somebody. What I find even more understanding is when somebody tries to sell something to someone else in 
eBay or a private sale or in one of the Facebook groups that I belong to. And all of a sudden they find out that some particular item that let's say came with the figure, like a gun, you know, usually that's what seems to happen the most, is a reproduction. And the anger and (laughs) hatred that seems to be out there uh, regarding people that deal in repros or don't deal in repros. And I'm going to just once again say it uh, right is it all depends on what you're doing. Obviously, you should never misrepresent what you have or what you're selling. So, for example, you know, I could understand the the anger that somebody might feel if all of a sudden they spend a considerable amount of money on a specific figure and they find out that, oh, the cape is not real or the gun is not real. There's all kinds of tests people have done that can do that most of the times will tell them whether or not a weapon, for example, is real or not, remanufactured or that sort of thing. There's the, you can put them in water and if they float, it means one thing. If they don't float, it means another thing. There's all kinds of things. I would recommend people to go to a website or a Facebook group called the Imperial Commissary. They have the resources there, especially the website, not only to catalog just about every variation of action figure that came out with Star Wars, you know, the, especially the, I'm talking about the original, the Kenner line, but they'll tell you about all the different ways of telling whether something is a fake or real or reproduced or, you know, original, whatever. Or you might want to look at another site called the imperialgunnery.com. Now, with that said, I'm still in the camp of it's okay to have reproductions. In my particular case, when I started to reconstitute my collection, I don't remember, I think it must have been at least 10 years ago, more or less. You know, I kind of understood, even back then, that there were certain figures I just was not going to get. And the more that I continued to chase after these figures, the more I understood I wasn't going to get them. I am not going to pay 300 bucks for a real blue snaggletooth, or an Amana Man, or a Yak Face. You know, that's just not going to happen. So what I've done is I've collected as many of the original ones that I could, you know, to reconstitute the collection. I think I probably had about 75, 80% of the collection already. And most of them were more or less in good shape. Some I had to uh, repurchase because they were in rough shape. And then what I had left uh, consisted primarily of the last 17 and a couple of Scragglers here or there, you know, not not too uh, not too bad. But one of the things that I started doing off the bat was that the ones that I already did own, that I considered that I did not have to rebuy them again, was to figure out the cape situation because I had a you know snow troopers without capes. I probably had an Obi Wan or a Leia without a cape. You know, I had a number. A Vader, I think I had without a cape because I had multiple sometimes. So one of the first things I did is I found a place, again, on eBay, where they sold capes, reproduced capes. No big deal. They look pretty good. My collection is my collection. It is not an investment. This is not how I'm paying for my kid's college because I understand that it's not worth that much. You know, this isn't a fortune that I have here sitting here. You know, if you're lucky, I might be able to buy a couple of textbooks for my kid in college with the actual value of what I have here. But it is just here. For me to enjoy. That is the only purpose. It's for me to enjoy. For me to turn my head a few inches to the left as I'm recording this. And I see them. They're all there in a case, in a nice glass case. You know, it lights up at night. I have what constitutes to me the original Kenner figures and some extras in there. You know, for laughs. 
it fulfills its purpose. Let's put it that way. The other thing that I also wanted to do with my original pretty good looking figures, let's say, is to finish off the guns. And again, just like with the capes, I went searching for guns. And reproductions were the cheapest, and that's what I bought. And they're there. They're holding their guns. Some are holding different guns because I felt that they required different guns, and some are not. The other thing was the lightsabers. The lightsabers were a whole other problem because I did have a few left of the ones that you could kind of place on Luke's hand. Not insert into the wrist arm, but the, the ones he could hold. I had a few. Maybe one or two, I don't remember for sure. But... I did want to recreate, you know, the accuracy of the fact that sometimes they sold you the wrong color or they sold you the wrong type, you know, that kind of thing that came with the figure. So I did order, you know, certain color. I ordered, I think I ordered a blue one, you know, I ordered the uh, a whole batch of the ones that slide into the arm, the regular ones, not the double telescoping ones, because I wanted to finish them off and I did and they look awesome. I mean, you're looking at them from here and they look pretty much exactly like what they're supposed to be. Now, my most recent purchase is uh, I got from, not only is it my uh, Imperial Gunner, as I mentioned before, but also a set of three telescoping lightsabers for Luke, Ben, and Vader. And again, of course, these are reproductions. But guess what? I know for a fact, just like I know that I'm not going to own, uh, you know, a blue snaggletooth or an Amanaman or a Yak Face, a real ones, I'm never going to own a telescoping lightsaber figure, period. Those are astronomically impossible. Just like a rocket-firing Boba Fett, which we'll get to in a minute. You know, that's not going to happen. A real one. A prototype. <laughs> a real one. There's no such thing as a real one. Anyway, so that's another thing I did. I, I got them. Now I'm in the process of being able to display some of these in the actual wrist of some of the figures because I have multiples, you know, I display them in different ways, but, you know, I thought it would be important to be able to at least have a representation of what that looks like. Now, with certain accessories that the figures come that don't fall into those categories, for example, a brown snake for Yoda. I purchased a, um, I guess we consider a Pac-Man <laughs> Yoda, different shade, slightly different shade, that came, I believe, with the brown snake instead of the orange snake. So I needed a brown snake now at this point, which was, again, very difficult to find and very expensive. So I bought a reproduction snake, brown snake, that I could put around his neck. For my Max Rebo band, I had lost, uh, I believe, most of my microphones, if not all. Uh, so again, I was able to purchase a, a set of microphones, pre-produced, once again, and that was that. And I was able to kind of complete these. Now, when it came to the last 17, I was able to get a good number of them, little by little, until I was able to complete the whole thing very recently. But there were some, again, that I was pretty certain I was not going to get. For example, the R2-D2 with the firing lightsaber, the green lightsaber, that again, I've, I've been finding it very difficult to find one. So what I did is I took a sensor scope R2 from Empire, removed the sensor scope. So he's got the hole there already. And I put inside a green lightsaber reproduced. So now you have that it pretty much looks like what the real one will would look like. Stormtrooper Luke, again, very difficult trying to find a decent one in somewhat of a good shape with a helmet also. So what I did is I ordered uh, from a uh, person that casts stormtroopers 
a pair of stormtroopers that are jointed. They are Kenner style, but they have a neck joint and arm joints and, and leg joints. So it adds that little extra point of articulation that the original ones didn't have. So what I then did is I took the, the pair that came, I grabbed one, removed, popped off his head because it's a pop, you know, it's a little ball and joint kind of pop connection and inserted a Luke. I believe I might have used a Bespin Luke. I'm not entirely sure from, from back here. I must have been a Bespin Luke head on it. And then the head I use as a helmet. Obviously, it doesn't fit on his head, but it's there on the, you know, on the ground as if he has that helmet as an option. And it looks fantastic. I then turned around, and I mean, I'll talk about it later, but I did the same thing for a Han Solo. So I have a pair of Luke and Solo in Stormtrooper gear. My blue snaggletooth was a cast. I purchased it as a cast. Somebody casted, repainted it, no articulation, somewhat fragile, if you will. I already kind of cracked it once and I have to fix it, trying to insert a foot peg into it that wasn't included. (laughs) Again, it is not authentic. It's there. It serves its purpose. It's there to represent that character or that figure that I cannot afford at this time. I have an Amana Man that I actually bought at a convention that is missing not only the staff, but the right arm. But that's fine. I said, I'll take it and I'll deal with it somehow. And what I did is I purchased a modern Amana Man, took off his right arm and attached it to this guy. Yes, if you look at it, the arms are different. They're different molding, moldings, different, slightly different color. But you know what? It serves its purpose once again. You know, he's holding the modern staff instead of the older staff. Now, this is a perfect example of what I'm talking about in terms of placeholders is that later on, recently, I was able to acquire a full Amana Man, again, without the staff, but at least he has both original arms. So I was able to replace him. You know, no longer do I have that prosthetic arm Amana Man. I can now sell it or give it away to somebody or something like that. And another very recent one that I just got is EV99. That is one of the hardest ones also to find in complete shape. I was able to acquire one without arms. So I'm also now in the process of taking the arms from a modern EV99 and attaching them to this guy and painting them the right shade. So again, another little project that I... You know, it's a fun little project. It's not too difficult, but I'm working on it. The other one I want to mention that I forgot is uh, when it comes to capes, I have a Luke, Poncho Luke that I have uh, that is pretty complete except for the Poncho. So I ended up buying a Repro Poncho for him. Again, not exactly 100% accurate, obviously, and the color is not, it's pretty close. It's not exactly there, but it's pretty close, so it serves its purpose. And General Lando, again, from the last 17 wave, is another one that I had to find a reproduced cape, you know, reproduced cloth cape, because those particular ones, again, are hard to find. You know, when I purchased them, they didn't have that. Now, what I'm still missing as far as accessories go, I don't want to call it a character because it's kind of weird, is the block of carbonite from the last 17 Han Solo figure. I do have a block of carbonite from the Slave 1 that I managed to uh, keep all these years. And I keep that in my case. But the block of carbonite is something that I'm still looking for. And that is, again, another item that I don't mind if I end up buying it repro. And I think I've seen it in the past, some people offering reproductions of them. 
it really doesn't bother me if it, if it ends up being in that manner. I'm going to say it again. It all goes back to how you collect. What is your philosophy of collecting? And whatever your philosophy is should not, you know, supersede anybody else's unless you are lying to them. <laughs> again, that's the bottom line. Do not lie about your collection. Now, I know one particular person I know that it takes it a bit further in terms of how they feel about collecting. You know, you, yes, you do have people that are into uh, authentics, only authentics, only authentics. But uh, I know somebody that is into, well, if you buy it, it all, it's only good or it's only special if you bought it originally at the time that it was sold. So in other words, uh, if you got your collection as you were gathering it through the years as they, they were being released, that's even more special as opposed to somebody who might today, you know, plunk down some dollars and buy whether it's authentic or not, even if it is authentic, it is not as special as this other person's collection. Now, again, that is your particular thing. You know, that's your psychological way of putting value into your collection. You have so many different types of collectors, collectors that it's an investment, collectors that buy things and don't show them to anyone. It's almost like a secret collection. They're a hidden collect. They're like hidden collectors. Collectors that are, they're dealers. They are constantly dealing, uh, trading and buying and selling. You know, that's more like a dealer business person. And I guess collectors like myself who are, it's just for them. There is no purpose other than themselves in terms of, you know, I don't mind showing it to people. I don't hide it from people. I, I know people that, yes, they do that. They, they, they feel like they have to hide their, their collections because they're embarrassed of them, actually. I'm not. It's, it's part of my personality. I mean, it's, it's what you are. I mean, at least for me. So yes, we, th th there are some grand rules and, and especially if you're involved in a, any sort of relationship, <laughs> whether you're married or, or maybe have a, a girlfriend or, or a boyfriend or whatever, especially if you own your own place or if you, or if you live in your own place, you try, you know, the, the, the general rule is that you try to kind of separate your hobby from the rest of your life in some shape or form. Uh, so usually the way it works is that there's a room, obviously, if you have the means, obviously, where you keep your stuff. That is the, the toy room, uh, whatever you want to call it, your personal space, your office, your man cave, your woman cave, whatever. I don't know. In my particular case, we have an office here where I share with my wife and son, but he's in college now, so it's, it's the office is a little more empty uh, than usual where I've decorated it to include the majority of my collection, or at least the, the items that I want to display. There are more items, you know, tucked away, but the majority, I would say 90% of what I want to display is all out here. 95%. I'm going to bring it up to 95%. What the heck? And yeah, I don't let that kind of go into the living room, dining room area. So, you know, I try to keep it confined into this area. This is the this is the toy room, if you will. And when my kids, you know, have friends over and stuff like that, and they've been here for the first, they come here for the first time, sooner or later, it's kind of like, you know, you, I, I do get to witness the, all right, come here, I got to show you something. <laughs> and it's kind of like, yeah, this is my dad's toy room. And... You get all kinds of reactions, and the majority of them are positive, I think. I mean, they might be going home and saying, oh, my God, can you believe this freak? <laughs> it's possible. But that's fine. You know, this is, you know, I I would, I could not, um, and again, it goes back to your personality, I guess. You know, I, I could not 
hide, uh, you know, my, my interest in something like this. Yes. If I was single, I, I probably would decorate my entire house or apartment or whatever. You know, it, it, it would be permeating everywhere. Now, with that said, I, I do have to admit, uh, that we do have, um, which was obviously my idea, a Star Wars bathroom. There's a number of bathrooms in this house, and one of them I decorated it Star Wars-ish. Not too crazy, just enough to, you know, shower curtain, uh, bath mat. I have an Empire slate on the wall. I have some cups, you know, uh, soap dispensers, towels, that kind of, that kind of crazy. Okay, it, 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 it is crazy. I, I know, I know, I get it. <laughs> Yes, so uh, and that is the only exception to the rule. Um, let me look. I'm turning around, and the living room is pretty, pretty clear of the and the dining room and the well. Okay, okay, I have to admit, the kitchen. I uh, well, okay, here we go. The kitchen, I do have a pie. You know, out of the way, uh, some uh, well, all of the Star Wars glasses, the original Burger King glasses. Uh, they're all up there decorating the the, the the top of the shelves of the kitchen. So, yes, the Star Wars has kind of gone into the kitchen a little bit. And I do have, again, you know, I have a I have a timer, you know, that's the Death Star timer. And somebody gave my wife some R2-D2 measuring cups. Uh, and I do have a Darth Vader toaster maker. You know, okay, let's forget what I said before because uh, the office is not the only place. Uh, now the bedroom, okay, the bedroom is, is pretty clear, except for the fact that I do have a few bookcases in our bedroom and the bookcases, uh, half of them are pretty much Star Wars centric, uh, related material. So yeah, it's, uh, it's, uh, I would say there are more rooms Star Wars than less room Star Wars. Now with that said, I know that yes, there are people that are a hundred percent Star Wars. <laughs> Uh, so I'm kind of in the middle, I would say, but, but in general, you know, I don't bring people to the bedroom to tour my bookcase. Oh, I don't bring people to the bathroom to tour the bathroom. If they happen to use the bathroom, they'll notice it. If they happen to be in the kitchen, they can see that. Oh, what's that up there? Oh, those are Star Wars glass. Oh, that's cute. Whatever. But yeah, so we kind of keep things a little separate when it comes to Star Wars. Now let's go back to our um, story because we kind of went off on a tangent like we usually do. The other thing that I have in my Star Wars figure case, because I have two of these glass cases. They're old Ikea cases. I couldn't tell you what the name of it. It's some kind of Swedish something. I don't remember. They're about, uh, let's see, two feet wide by two and a half, three feet tall. And they're about six inches deep. And they have one, two, three, four, five shelves. You know, five different areas. I added lights inside of them. Uh, so that it, it lights up at night. And I have two of those. One of them is just single figures. And the other one is a combination of vintage knickknacks and small either accessories, vehicles, uh, creatures, you know, stuff like that. Like, you know, Dubak, Tauntaun, Landspeeder, mini rigs, that sort of thing is on the other one. I do have larger stuff up top on a different shelf that doesn't obviously fit inside a glass case, you know, of the size that I'm dealing with right now. But anyway... Once I'm done with what would be considered to be the last 17, whether they're real, reproduced, partially reproduced, prosthetic arms, prosthetic legs, you know, extra things added to them, what I do have also is customs. And this is something that I started going into uh, not too long ago. 
that I started to get very interested in. In the internet, whenever I go, and again, a lot of this comes from these Facebook groups that I belong to. A lot of them are customizing groups. The work that they do, it is just amazing. It is just a completely amazing, the accuracy of some of these guys, how they take the Kenner original look, are able to redo it. Most of the times by recycling all parts of existing Kenner figures. Now, granted, sometimes they do go out to be able to find different heads, sculpts, that sort of thing. But as far as the bodies go, it's amazing how most of it could be done directly from what's already out there. So at what point I was thinking of making my own Tarkin, and then I found somebody who was selling one. Boom, got it. Looks incredible. I believe they might have been using a more modern head. And that's another thing that you find sometimes is that, you know, unless you're a professional sculptor, sometimes it's just worth it just to get the head, get the head from a more modern figure and pop it on the new, on the old body, repaint, and then it works pretty well. The Sand Trooper is one of the ones I did myself, which I used an old kind of beat up Stormtrooper, found a pauldron from a modern one, put it around his neck, uh, mounted a, a backpack on him and a large gun, and boom, there, Sand Trooper, all done, perfect, looks wonderful, I love it. It's, it definitely would have been an easy one for them if they were going to manufacture another version of the Stormtrooper. It would have been so easy to make for Kenner. Death Star Droid. The Death Star Droid, as we all know, is labeled wrong. The, the droid that, that is labeled Death Star Droid is the droid that's in the Jawa Sandcrawler. The Death Star Droid is basically the same type of robot, you know, physically, except he's all black. You know, some silver here or there. So that was, again, another one that I was going to work on my own, but I found somebody who was selling one. And I think it came in a lot of other, with a lot, could it came, it's possible it came in a lot with other droids, uh, beat up, you know, super beaters, including this one. Got it? Perfect. Works perfectly right there. It's had its own shelf there. I kind of try to keep all my, uh, all my customs and variants. I try to keep those in a separate shelf in my glass case. Rebel Soldier from New Hope. This is one that I've seen tons of pictures of people that make their own. Then I found a guy who just, he's probably the best one around. He's from, I forget in South America where he's working from. He does work that is just fantastic. You can, it blows you away. And I was able to get a, an actual Rebel blockade soldier. He sells some of these carded. He cards them himself, but I wanted it loose because it fits perfectly in this uh, collection that I have. The Stormtrooper Han Solo, which I mentioned earlier, that I made it myself because, you know, I, I bought a pair of loose head, you know, articulated head Stormtroopers that were remanufactured in that way so I can pop heads. I forget, I think I might have used a, a Return of the Jedi head for Solo. I could be wrong. I don't remember exactly. Or a Empire Strikes Back head. I don't remember. One of those two heads. It all depends on, on your preference. I mean... You want to be accurate to the film, then you got, you know, I got to, you got to use a, a, what are you going to use? A small head or a large head Han? They both look weird <laughs> on a Stormtrooper body. Uh, so you have to slightly start moving towards the other films to get a more accurate head. I have a Klaatu without a mask. Uh, in other words, it's my Corey D. Williams figure. You know, I follow Corey D. in uh, Facebook and uh, I wanted to make a figure of him because there are pictures of him without the mask and he looks you know, he looks a little like his dad. So I was able to use a, a Lando head, you know, repaint it because he's wearing kind of like a head covering, uh, you know, to, cup, to keep his hair down, I guess, or something like that. So I kind of redid it, even the hands, everything. And I love it. It's it's completely my custom. I painted it myself. I re-glued everything myself. Uh, I have that. I have a Hoth hand, which is 
uh, one of probably my second custom that I made. First or second, I don't remember. Which is, uh, again, a super easy one. What you do is you take the Han Solo hooded head off and put a Han Solo Empire head, Bespin head on. And bammo, now you got Han without the hood. It, it looks fantastic. Easy, easy first time custom job for anybody to make. Then I have my X-Wing Luke without the helmet. This was probably the third custom I made. A little more intricate because here, not only are you swapping heads, but you are also carving out the X-Wing head so you can save the helmet. You carve out the helmet. You carve the head from inside the helmet. And now you have a helmet you could use, you know, Luke can hold under his arm. This is one of the best, easiest. Again, it's a little more intricate, but the, 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 the outcome is fantastic. I love that one. Then I made a, I guess you can call it a Damage Vader or an Anakin Skywalker kind of Darth Vader figure from Return of the Jedi, which is basically your traditional Vader. Take the head off. You give him a more modern, you know, Anakin head, the, 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 the Return of the Jedi Anakin had the grayish looking, half dead looking head. Cut off his hand at the wrist. Put some, put some little red things on it so it looks like the wires are sticking out. And it is the, the dying Vader basically version. That's, uh, that was a little difficult because I, I had different versions because they made so many different, you know, in modern time, Anakin heads, including the Anakin from Return of the Jedi, the, the, the actual Kenner one. I tried that head and it just, you know, I would have had to, I would have had to carved out all the hair and give him the scars. It was, it was much easier just to use a, a head from a pre, from a more modern one. That one's pretty good too. I also have, uh, speaking of Anakin, a ghost Obi-Wan. And again, that's an easy one because I already had the body of Anakin that I had discarded because of the fact that I had tried to use the head. I was then able to place an Obi-Wan head on a ghost Anakin figure, and now you have your ghost Obi-Wan, which shows up in the second and third film. Again, super easy custom. I have an Imperial officer, which is basically an ATST driver body with an Imperial officer head, and then I have a Death Star commander, which is the Death Star commander head in an Imperial officer body. So his costume is more accurate in terms of color. Uh, as you guys remember, Death Star Commander, they painted him gray as opposed to black, which is what he should have been. So those are, again, easy head swaps that make a huge difference. And this other Imperial officer that I have now uh, with the gray suit is kind of like the ones that go into the Falcon to do the sweep. And, you know, the two guys carrying the box, that's exactly what that looks like. Then you have what I like to call my Cliff action figure, my Cliff Clavin action figure. And I've seen so many customized versions online where the, first of all, what I'm talking about, I think they, they called them Major Darren or something like that. And it is from Empire Strikes Back. John Ratzenberg, as you might know, played one of the rebel soldiers. He's the one that's telling Princess Leia that they're going to close the, the door. We have to close the door. You know, the storm's coming and uh, no sign of Luke Skywalker or, or Solo. You know, that kind of, that guy. It is a kind of like an Easter eggy kind of weird uh, thing because it's, it's Cliff Clavin, for crying out loud, from Cheers and from the Toy Story films. So they did produce an action figure of him in the modern version, in the Hasbro version, but they never got around doing it originally for Kenner. Kenner did have two 
rebel soldiers from from Hoth, a, a generic rebel soldier, and then a, I, I don't know if they called it a rebel commander or whatever, but he had a mustache. So some people were saying, well, you can kind of pretend, I guess, that uh, you know this this could be uh, that that character, but it's not. He is clearly a different actor, and 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 there there are scenes and you see him, and, and and but it is different. But at least he's different than the generic one, and you know he does even have a molded backpack attached to him, different colored jacket, so it's different. So, however, in order to customize your own version of that, what you do is you take the head of that commander soldier and you take the body of Han Solo from this Hoth outfit and you repaint it and that's exactly what I did I was able to repaint the entire costume and it I love it I absolutely love it I, I the, the painting I, I still wish I could have done it a little bit lighter but this was also the first time that I kind of tippy-toed into uh, using actual putty to be able to add a little detail and little accent and to fill in some little gaps here or there. And for this particular figure, the way that I used the putty was to create kind of like um, like a collar, like a puffy collar on the particular jacket that he's wearing. Absolutely loved it. It came out great. And then I also made a, I guess you can call it an, one of uh, Admiral Akbar's uh, lieutenants, I guess, or soldiers uh, that are, you know, it's, it's a Moncal being, except he's wearing, instead of the white admiral uniform, he's wearing more of a tan uniform. And he has a, sort of like a belt around his waist uh, with little pouches. Well, with that one, again, it was super simple as far as changing. I mean, there was no cutting of pieces in this point. I'm using just an Akbar, repainting it. But before painting it, what I did is I uh, I molded, you know, with the putty, I sculpted the uh, the belt and, and the little accessories around his waist. Again, painted it, came out great. Again, this was my second try at messing around with, with putty. Then finally, the one that I'm working on right now, as we speak, I would say I'm about 75% there, is a Dagobah Luke training Luke. The Luke that trains with Yoda. The Luke that doesn't have a jacket on. He's wearing a shirt with cut-off sleeves. So, again, that's another character that was never made. And uh, I've seen pictures of customized versions of that character. Really, really nice jobs people did. This one's a little more difficult because what you do is... Now, again, it depends on how you want to do it. Some people replace more parts than others, but the bottom, bottom line is that you have to take a Luke, you have to give him some sort of a short t-shirty torso, and you have to expose the arms. Now, unfortunately, in the Kenner line, there are no arms, bare arms in just about any of the figures other than the Rancor Keeper. But he does have these uh, elbow pads and wrist pads and stuff like that that would make it a little too... Difficult because you would have to kind of, you know, kind of slice those things out and sand them down. So it would be a little too... And, and I think his arms might be just a little too bulky for Luke. So what you have to do then is you have to go outside <laughs> the line and look for other potentially similar figures from other lines that have bare arms or as close to possible bare arms. And I've looked on the internet and people have used all types of arms out there that made them, you know, look pretty, pretty good, you know, at certain times. 
So for example, some people were able to use arms from the Clash of the Titan figures, the Perseus or the, I forget the other soldier's name, because they have the bare arms, slightly muscular, but they do have these um, wrist coverings, these kind of brown wrist coverings, like uh, that also would have to get sanded down, cut down, and removed. Then some people also have used the arms from the Sala figure from Indiana Jones from Raiders of the Lost Ark. Uh, this is a figure that you probably didn't even know had bare arms because the figure comes with a cloak and you never see the arms. But underneath the cloak, the arms are bare. So there is a possibility for you there. You know, some people have said that works pretty well. Uh, then if you go to the modern figures, see the problem with those the figures I just mentioned is that one of the problems is that because they're vintage figures, they could be a little more expensive than your traditional, you know, more modern figure. Now on the modern figure side, you do have, for example, there's a um, Escape from New York uh, Snake Plissken figure. Again, similar situation, nice bare arms, but you do have those wrist covers that again have to be sanded way. But I ended up using, again, on the suggestion of, of another person that did it, the arms from uh, the fifth element, the Bruce Willis figure, because he does have completely bare arms with no uh, wristwatches or any kind of decorations or pads or anything. However, the arms are lighter color. Obviously, that's a whole other problem that you have to deal with. And that is that at some point you have to make them match the skin tone of the head of the Luke. So, I was able to um, to do that. I was able to attach these new arms into the, the body of Luke. The body of Luke is also an ATST driver where you remove the arms. I also remove the boots. I cut out the boots of that driver, the brown boots, and I attached Bespin Luke boots. You know, cut them. Uh, what I usually do when I attach boots, because I, I've done it for, for when I attached uh, different uh, hands, is I will carve out a little hole and put a little, like a push pin, a little rod, the little pin rod itself. I attach it into one piece and then I force it into the other one. This way there is some uh, solid metal in there holding those two pieces together. And then I glue that together. So there's not just glue, but a glue and a metal rod inside. So I was able to transfer the boots into the ATST body, attach Luke's head to the ATST body, attach the uh, Bruce Willis arms to the ATST body, and the top portion of the ATST body, because it has to look like a t-shirt, I sanded it a lot to remove most of the wrinkles that were there from the jumpsuit that the ATST body has. So that worked out well. I added some putty also uh, along the neck area and the arms areas to create a sort of seam on the arms because I'm going to try to paint, not only did I paint the arms, but I'm gonna try to paint a little tiny hint of the torso so that the the shirt looks like it, it doesn't just cut off at the at the line of the uh, of the articulation, but slightly into it. This way it looks like there's actual flesh, you know, on the on the shoulder, on the arm. Same thing with the neck. The ATST character uh, figure uh, has a jumpsuit that covers his neck completely. Luke, on the other hand, because he's wearing a T-shirt, he has a, you know, like a U-neck, a U-shape, uh, not a V-neck. I guess I, call, I don't know if it's called a U-neck, but it's, you know, you, you do see part of his, his throat. You see his neck, his throat, and part a little bit of his chest because of the U-shape of this T-shirt. So I was able to mold a little bit of a, of a U there so that when I started painting him, then I also added, you know, neck paint, you know, back of the neck, side of the neck, front of the neck a little bit to create that little shape. 
I still have to paint the body now. I'm not sure if I'm going to paint the pants because the pants are already kind of grayish. The shirt, I definitely want to paint the shirt a slightly different shade because I want it to look different than the pants somehow. There is a slight difference and then I want to weather it just a little bit because I want to you know he's all dirty and grimy when it comes to that even his hair I think should be a, a little darker than normal because he's all sweaty and stuff like that you try to imagine what would Kenner have done if they produced that figure and the thing that you always have to remember and, and and this is something that you always fall into this trap is that you try to make these figures as good looking as possible and part of it is because the modern figures are so much more detailed and good looking however to make them look authentically Kennerish, you have to kind of take a step back. Kenner didn't go crazy with detailing and weathering and that sort of thing. They're simple. So there are a lot of times where I'm like, oh, I wish this, this color would have been a little better, or I wish this, the, this little pocket would have popped out a little more. And you got to say, wait, hold on. How would Kenner have done it? And and that's the thing where like, okay, it's fine. If you're looking at a figure under a magnifying glass, you are going to find flaws. There are flaws. The original Kenner ones, a lot of them have flaws all over the place. But that's the point. You, you got to let them breathe a little bit. So again, I'm going to go as far as I can with Luke, but I'm not going to go crazy. You know, I'm not trying to do a customized modern figure. If it's a, if it's a customized modern figure, yeah, there is a lot more that they do now that it's just incredible with, with how detailed they are and the wrinkles and the pockets and the colors and the, all the accents and all that stuff. And if you look at, you know, you look at some of these, uh, like I'm looking at Bespin Luke's and I'm noticing like the hand colors are slightly different than the head color, you know, the flesh tones. So it's like, you know what? If they weren't that concerned back then, I shouldn't be that concerned with it right now. So that's something to keep in mind. Now, with that said, I still have so many more I want to make. And like I mentioned earlier, every time I see a picture of somebody that made something, I copy it, put it in a folder because it, it inspires me so much to just like, sit down and start working on these. Because the inspiration that you get from these pictures, and I, I recommend it to everyone, go into these groups because... Yes, you can find so much cool stuff to buy or trade, but you also have so many inspirational items that can, you know, fuel your passion for all this customizing that's out there. So, again, uh, as I mentioned before, you know, this is how I deal with the issue of repros and customs. It's not a bad thing. Just don't lie about it. Don't scam people, you know, into, into thinking that you're selling them something you're not. Be honest. You know, and I kind of see it as a, uh, you know, they're placeholders in a way. You know, if something happens along the way and I found this fantastic deal for a figure that I don't have that I had to reproduce or alter in any shape or form, they're there as a placeholder. And once that original real one is acquired, I can always substitute them. If I run into a, even an accessory that I've been looking for for a long time that I can't find, if I find it for a good price, I'll pick it up and then I'll just substitute it. So that's no big deal. But the point is, and I always say this to everybody, whatever it is that you're collecting, if it's causing you more problems than the happiness that it's giving back to you, then you've got a problem on your hands. If your collection, if whatever it is that you are chasing after all these years and continue to chase, cause more conflict or stress in your life than the joy that it brings back, then that's a sign that you have a possible issue there. <laughs> For, with me, it's always been, that's my place. It's my thing. 
It's what fuels, you know, a lot of the creativity, a lot of my podcasting, you know, all of that is there for me, waiting for me. And I know that it's not a negative force in my life. It's a positive force. With that said, it's now your turn to decide what kind of collector you want to be. All right. Well, I hope everybody enjoyed today's show. We started off with Star Wars animation and, you know, what's right around the corner when it comes to the animated television shows that Star Wars is putting together. You know, we know we have more movies. We know we have a television show, an actual live television show. But even before all that stuff uh, starts to hit, we're going to get hit with some animation. We got Resistance, which is going to be the first one. As I mentioned, completely different style, slightly anime-ish kind of looking, traditional cartoony looking stuff. And the Return of Clone Wars next year, once the uh, Disney streaming service starts, we're going to get that final season that hopefully will wrap up all those loose ends that we had, you know, when the series started winding down a number of years ago that, you know, all the fans were disappointed that we weren't going to see a clean conclusion to a lot of these, you know, open storylines. And then we also looked at reproductions and customs in terms of Star Wars Kenner action figures. Uh, One of my latest obsessions in collecting, not only collecting, but making them myself. I love to put together these figures. I am so inspired, as I mentioned during the show, by how much fantastic work people are doing out there in creating these figures that were never made that seemed like such a no-brainer in terms of, wow, that's perfect figure that they should have made. And some of them are so super simple that you just cannot help, you know, but give it a try. And little by little, I've been, you know, pushing and pushing in terms of being able to take the figures apart, being able to paint them, starting messing with putty and creating actual pieces. So this is something that I'm really, really excited about and I enjoy really doing, and hopefully you guys too. So on behalf of everybody here, Thanks for listening, and we will see you soon here at GeekFest Rants. Bye-bye, everybody. Can you imagine what it's like to be an ace pilot? This is your chance to make that true. I've got a mission for you. Yes! Blend in, find out who's loyal to the good guys and who isn't. What was that? What was what? The throwing and the falling. Over there. Don't think about it. You can work on my team. Get ready to be impressed. But when it comes to your mission as a spy, I don't want anything to do with it. Oh, you've got to be kidding me. I just wanted to wish my competition good luck. This is fine. I'm fine. Just be careful and don't explode. I'll do my best. This should be good. Here we go. Resistance in all new series premieres Sunday, October 7th at 10 on Disney Channel. Yes! If you would like to subscribe to our show, send us messages, or see video links to some of the topics we talked about today, please visit our homepage at geekfestrants.com or our YouTube channel, Facebook page, or iTunes at Geekfest Rants. I don't know what we're yelling about! Geekfest Rants is produced by Carlos Perone, copyright 2018. This broadcast is part of the IC Robots radio network. Visit icrobots.com for this and many other nerd slash nostalgia related podcasts. You won't be sorry for long.